At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Let's get ready to rumble! What is up, Zinger Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Power Hour. It's Tuesday. I got my man Spencer Israel with me. Um, Let me know in the chat what everyone's watching today. I was just looking at the overall market. Uh, Spencer, we had the CPI data come out this morning, and and markets, they were trading higher. They liked that the CPI data was mild, and then now the markets are saying we don't really care. Dude. (laughs) <laughs> trying to parse wh- how the market will interpret these numbers is is like is like reading tea leaves man it is so difficult like on this th- there is the number there is the reaction to the number and there's 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 the reaction to the reaction to the number but the number itself i'm certain in that it was lighter a little bit lighter than what uh economists were expecting or the street was expecting that's all i really know for certain everything else is sort of out the window here uh, as far as how the market is reacting to it because it did go higher off the number we've now reversed like you said now we've re- we're reversing from the reversal so who really knows what's going on here today uh but i do want to start the show today by talking about uh crypto actually before we get to that ab let's preview our guest we have two big time interviews today who do we got yeah, we we got Liquid Media joining us from the Toronto Film Festival. CEO Ron Thompson. I'm excited to get Ron back on the Power Hour. Liquid Media ticker YVR. Um, and then after that, we have Bit Digital CEO Brian Bullet. Uh, Spencer, I don't know if we've had a guy with a cooler name coming on the show than Brian Bullet, CEO of Bit Digital ticker BTBT. A great day to talk to a crypto miner, and, and the reason I wanted to start with crypto is because the chairman of the ICC, Gary Gensler, is testifying today. I believe right now, actually, in front of the uh, Senate Banking Committee, just about crypto regulation in the U.S. Uh, the timing could not be, but the timing of the testimony could not be better. This comes a day after that craziness yesterday with Walmart and Litecoin, right? And so he's going to get grilled about uh, regulating crypto. And 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 we know he wants to, uh, in, in some respects, uh, he wants to, to regulate it. We don't really know how. Uh, there are many questions about an ETF and what that could look like because they have yet to approve a Bitcoin ETF in the U.S. So crypto is on my mind today, AB. And in that uh, in that regard, I want to do our first crypto update of the day. And as you can see here up on the screen, it's looking a lot different than it, is. it was yesterday. Right yesterday, we had mostly red, a little bit of green here and there. Today is the opposite. Mostly green. There's a little bit of red here and there. Bitcoin up 5.5%. Ethereum up 5.8%. Solano in the green. Even Dogecoin's in the green. Litecoin's in the green after yesterday's shenanigans. Right? Uh, Binance coin, XRP, all of it in the green. Today, Cardano is in the red by a smidgen. Uh, down 0.08%. If you look at the charts, it's the same story, right? Let's go to a daily on, on, on Bitcoin, right? 
TradeTheRange.com for both Bitcoin and Ethereum. Call me when we break out uh, of call me when we get into like more into the meat of that. Can't oh, you guys can't see my my charts? Hold on, um, I'm not sharing the right thing. Let's share my screen so you can actually see my charts. Um, call me when we get into the meat of that that big red candle from from last week, right? From from from, from Tuesday, last Tuesday. We're we're not quite there yet. We're actually right at Tuesday's close, which was is interesting uh, on Bitcoin, Ethereum, kind of the same story. Uh, trade the range. Call me when we 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 break out. Looks like we're trying to break out here uh, on ETH um, again. If you haven't heard by now, I am long Bitcoin, Ethereum. Uh, Solano as well, and uh, that's where I'm at. AB, I don't actually know what your crypto uh, exposure is. I, I I hold a few different. I've got some Ethereum. I've got some Cardano, um, and that's what's sticking out to me, Spencer. In that heat map that you had up previously, was that Cardano is in the red right now. Um, you know, lagging behind a lot of other cryptos, and that's of course coming off the news of uh, Cardano's smart contract. So. Let me know in the chat if you're like me and you're holding Cardano and you're wondering why isn't ADA green like everything else. Um, so that that's one that I'm I'm hoping uh, you know has some more be- better days ahead, some green days ahead, or who knows? I mean, crypto's so volatile that Cardano could end up up ten percent today. Want to know in the chat what your exposure is? Uh, Justin Bieber is is looking at ADA as well, AB. Uh, but I want to know what you all own. Um, let, uh, I don't see. I see a few stocks, but what do you guys own in the chat? I'm just I, I don't ask this enough, but want to know what you all are into, um, because I'm only into like the mainstream stuff. Um, so let drop 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 those tickers in, and we'll, we we can all sort of see what what our our viewership, what Zinger Nation is owning on 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 the crypto front. Uh, and then speaking of Chair Gensler, uh, he wrote an op. Oh, I don't know if he wrote it, but somebody wrote it. Uh, and uh, under his name uh, at the SEC, uh, he posted an op-ed yesterday in the Wall Street Journal. This hit the, it hit uh, like yesterday after the close, talking about the need to uh, watch what's happening in China more closely. I'll give you the headline here. The actual headline is Chinese firms need to open their books. Essentially, Gary Gensler is uh, in the SEC is. Um, Sending notice, sending notice to any investor that owns any Chinese stock, any Chinese company that's listed here in the U.S. And that notice is watch out because there are going to be some delistings, right? Um, and and that's what the that was the biggest takeaway from the op-ed is that there's going to be stocks that trade in the U.S. from China that are delisted in the United States. It may, it may not happen this year, but it but it it it, it may happen next year. Um, so watch out. There's, there's a couple hundred of them. There's a couple hundred stocks, um, from China that trade in the U S um, on the NASDAQ and the NYSE. So just, if you are one of these shareholders, please watch out, please, please, please watch out. Know what you own. Um, because the clock is ticking as Gensler said, and, uh, deal listings are coming. Yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of turbulence and, and fear right now in all the Chinese assets. I was looking at Baba earlier, Spencer, moving down again. And Baba just continues to get crushed uh, down about 2.8% today at around $160. And, and my my thesis on this, Spencer, is essentially if we see uh, China start to kind of relax from here and say, like, okay, we're not going to do all these 
you know, crazy things that we've been talking about or whatever, then, then a lot of these assets are going to look underpriced and oversold. But if China does continue to crack down um, and kind of, you know, the government continues to get involved in the finances of different companies and breaks up big companies, then uh, a lot of these stocks will continue to sell off. Yeah. Uh, Jacobson is thinking the, all the Chinese, Chinese education stocks. Uh, yeah, Jacobson, probably, right? Your, your TAL. Uh, well, I, I can't even remember the other ones anymore. Um, EIIQ is one. EIIQ? Something like that. Oh. E, e, uh, EIQ? No, e- EDU. E- EDU and TAL were, were kind of your two big ones. Yeah, I'm thinking those are going to go off the board eventually here. So, um, yes. Notice has been served from the SEC. It is, it is EEIQ. B-O-T-U. Thank you, Jacobson, um, is the other big one. It was, say it again, A.B.? What was it? E-E-I-Q. I said E-I-I-Q. It's E-E-I-Q. $5. $5. Huh. That's $4 more than I would have thought. Um, so, yeah. Notice has been served. Please, please, please be careful here. Um these things can always go lower. I'm not going to be the one to tell you to come in and short these things. That, that, you know, if you're going to short a TAL, for example, right? Like, like the most you're going to make is four dollars and seventy cents. It's already down to four, and we already went from what eighty to eighty to four, right? In, in the span of uh, um, seven months. So, uh, yeah, just because. Just because um, delistings are coming, I, I, it doesn't necessarily mean these are good shorts. But I'm 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 pleading with you, please be careful from the long side. Um, I can't tell you what to do, but for me, it's hands off. It, it's hands off every single Chinese stock, every single Chinese ETF for the foreseeable future, and that also includes companies that have substantial exposure or like majority exposure to China, like LVS, for example, right? Las Vegas Sands, it's got Las Vegas in the name, but they don't actually have any properties in Vegas anymore, right? Their main properties are in Macau in China. So it's hands off here too for me. Yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of the, uh, you know, different casino stocks were kind of selling off today. Check check out when. Yes. So the the headline here uh, is that the Chinese government apparently wants more oversight, more regulation in of of casinos in Macau. Um, so they're kind of stepping into the into the casino sandbox here. Uh, and a lot of U.S. Uh, based casino companies have properties in Macau. Yes, yes, all the major ones do, right? Um, and, and Macau actually was uh, has been quicker to reopen. Uh, I'm sorry, Macau has been slower to reopen than uh, than than Las Vegas, and that's sort of been like what they've been waiting on is like, oh, you just wait. Once Macau opens up, it's 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 go time. But but there's now another lockdown in China, and so that plus these these new uh, these new, this new oversight, however it looks, uh, is causing some concern here today in the casino stock. So win is down 12 percent. AB, like you said, uh, LVS today. Down 13%, MGM, the big three, it's only down 4.5%. That tells you that they're – see, that's all you need to know. You don't even have to know the individual exposure of these stocks or these companies to know that MGM has less exposure to China just by nature of the fact that it's only down 4% today. What about, what about Penn? What about Penn? Good question. See, only down 3%. So they must not have a lot of Macau exposure. Um, right. That's, that's what, that, that's what the market's telling you, right? Like we can all look this up, but we don't even have to, the market's giving it away for us right now. Um, 
<laughs> Justin Bieber is asking why Neo is so resilient. I know there was the report, what was it yesterday or I forget even when, I, I that 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 the government China thinks that the, there's too many EV makers and they want some consolidation. Uh, and the thinking is that the government is backing Neo, right? They have government support. That maybe that's why. Um, but that ain't enough for me to come in here. So um, uh, that that's probably why it's so resilient, uh, uh, Biebs, is because they have support from the government. They've had it this whole time. The government's not the, the, the logic goes. They're not going to let Neo fail. But I don't know. It's it, it's all kind of a crapshoot to me. So we shall see, Spencer. Chinese uh, stocks. We're going to be talking about them for the next six months. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure longer. Okay, before we bring on our first guest of the day, let us see how many likes we're at. We're at, oh, guys, we got to get to at least 100. Got to get to at least 100 before we can bring on um, exclusive CEO interviews. I know you guys want to talk to Ron, Ron Thompson. We we won't. Sorry, I didn't mean mean to bring him on there. That was a mistake. But that's just to prove he is there. Well, that's just to prove to you that he is there. Ronnie, I, I just brought him on for a second by accident. Spencer's Ronnie's holding here. him hostage backstage. I am holding him hostage backstage. This is true. Until we get 200 likes, I see it going up. I see the counter going up slowly, but not enough for my liking. So we're going we're gonna to keep Ron backstage until – yeah, exactly. That, that was uh, – they call that a tease in – in, in the business. So, um, uh, but we'll get run on here. Hopefully, hopefully if, if we can get to hundred likes, Oh, uh, my counter stopped moving. That's a bad sign. Where are we at now? Guys, we're halfway there. Get me to hundred. I will, AB and I will sit here in silence. I just dropped my pen. We'll sit here in silence, uh, until we get to hundred. Don't think we won't. Cause we will. I don't know if I can sit in silence for that long. No, you definitely can't. Hey, um, did that uh, NFT video get posted? Do you know? The, what, the man on the street one? Yeah, the one with you? Not yet. Oh, guys, okay. We, we I, were just talking about it with Rohan. Quick quick, quick plug. Uh, you know, but I saw that there was like a TikTok. No, did, did that go out? Oh, maybe. Maybe Rohan Spencer. Or, uh, oh, okay. Rohan says it'll be today. Guys, uh, when that when that goes live, we'll, we'll, we'll tweet about it. And uh, AB did some man on the street stuff with 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 NFTs. It's pretty funny. You have a very good deadpan um, personality for that stuff, man. Yeah, this is a good crowdsourcing opportunity. So essentially the idea is like going around asking random people in downtown Detroit about NFTs and try to like, you know, facilitate some funny responses. What, what are some good questions I should ask people? And <laughs> if you post the questions in the chat and you might see it uh, featured in the next video we do. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Whatever new videos you want to see, or whatever questions you want us to ask, drop it in there. Uh, but we have do we do have a a video of Aaron Bree going around asking strangers about NFTs that should be posted today and or tomorrow. Um, so people keep asking me how my pot stocks doing. Yeah, guys, I know they're doing bad. Okay, you don't need to tell me. I I I, I tend to keep an eye on them every so often. Um, I do own the four largest multi-state operators in the U.S. They are very, very out of favor right now. Let me pull up a chart of the ETF that I don't own, but I own the four largest holdings in this ETF. Uh, yeah, it doesn't look great. I mean, I'm, I'm still in the green here, uh, but it's been a pretty brutal year. But I'm holding for federal legalization. That's why I'm holding. Uh, I'm holding for, for the uh, States Act and legalization. And those haven't happened yet. 
So I'm still waiting. I'm not selling. Okay, we've got Ron in the background. This is pissing me off now. We're only at 61 likes. I do want to bring him on. Um, he's he's a very feisty uh, um, um, hostage backstage. So we haven't gotten to 100, but I'm, I'm going to call an audible and bring Ron on anyway because uh, – I don't want to take up too much more of his time, and I know he's coming to us from a film. Is he is he at a film festival now? Yep, Tor- Toronto Fil- International Film Festival. The, the cool kids call it TIFF. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. Where's Ron? Oh, there he is. <laughs> hey, Good morning. How, how are things at TIFF, as the, as the kids say? TIFF, TIFF is amazing. We're having a, a great event this year, uh, notwithstanding the fact that it was canceled last year because of COVID. And this year is, it's a new beginning. So it's a new kind of TIFF. It's not as many, you know, premieres and as many red carpets as we had before, but it's actually a pretty good market. A lot of people coming out and it's sort of a semi back to normal. So uh, it's really a fantastic year. We had our, our big unveiling bash last night. And it was well attended. And so this morning I'm feeling a little rough, I must tell you. I've had a few hours of sleep, but enough to be able to be complimentous for today's interview. So I'll do my best. Okay. We, we, there we go. Ron, can you, can you go uh, explain uh, Liquid Media's presence at TIFF, kind of what y'all's role is there? Yes. We, uh, we basically are here to talk about our overall solution that we have for film producers, independents, uh, and television producers for the industry. We have a a business solutions company that we've essentially recalibrated from what Liquid had up to this point. And we have a very powerful four-stage business solution for anyone who wants to get their content uh, produced through getting it packaged, financed, positioned, and monetized reliably at scale. And so we're here to help the industry of independent studios, independent filmmakers, around the world. We have a global company. We're based up here in Canada and uh, we're in the process of, uh, of basically rolling out our business. We've made four acquisition announcements, the first of which we're closing now. And we have three others to follow uh, within the next uh, month or two. And so things are going really, really well. Ron, I want to ask you about my perception of, of the, the film industry right now and, and, and whether it's correct or not. What, what, what it seems to me is like it's a very barbelled industry right now where the top of the line biggest franchises are doing really well. And then like the, the, the bottom, uh, you know, this, the, the really small independent, uh, there's also appetite for very small independent films. And the middle is kind of screwed. Everyone, if you're not really small or really big, you're in no man's land and, and you're stuck. Is that an accurate assessment of like the the appetite right now and 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 the the, the where the money's at in in, in Hollywood? It, it is, and the the majors and the, and the major streamers really are are dictating the terms of the market. They're really driving uh, this. Well, they're responding to this massive consumer demand for fresh content, and whether it's episodic series or films. It's just such a massive demand, and and the large guys are the you know the majors are in a position to be able to to respond um, at scale. And really, there's so many independents out there who who produce the stories that people really want to watch more and more that they lack uh, sort of a reliable mechanism to help them deliver you know at scale and compete on this 
you know, on, on, on the level that the majors have been able to occupy up to now. And this is really what we're here to, to try to help them do. So you're trying to facilitate the, but like the, the lower end of, of, of the scale, right? Well, like, I'd say the independent level, they're not okay. lower. I okay. must tell you, you've got, you know, the big, you know, the six major big studios and you've got the big streamers and the streamers increasingly consolidating or, or acquiring studios. And, you know, the problem is the old days, studios used to finance and deliver all their content. Now they really focus on their on their tentpole films, you know, the Avengers and you know the right. James Bond films. And what about everything else? So the packaging and the financing and the delivery and, and production of those is really it's no man's land. And so it's a massively underserved market that we're responding to. That people need a helping hand and they need a structured business offering. That's mini majors, it's major production companies, but all that sit within the world of independence. And that's what we're focusing on. It's a big market, both for TV and for film. So is your your zero entire company basically a bet a bet on the never ending hunger from the majors for new content? Is that what this is? Um, not so much. No, what we're betting on is uh, a trend where we're constantly being inundated with requests from from major production companies saying, hey, look, you know, we're 90 percent financed. We've got this wonderful new film or this wonderful new series and they're 90 percent financed for three years and it never gets greenlit. So how do we help speed that process? How do we help provide them, if you like, the potency to make that happen at scale? How do we provide them with the revenue opportunities to replace what has traditionally been in the old studio and the old, old television market and the film market, sort of the mainstay? We have specialized in that area. We are acquiring specialist companies in each one of the four key areas of our value chain. It's, to me, it's obvious. It does, it's not rocket science. The industry is crying for, for, for solutions like these. And so really what we're becoming is an alternative to the traditional studio model. What, what are those four key areas again? Packaging and big data analytics, where we take a more statistical look at what's being produced. Is it a TV series? Is, is it a movie? Just like it's like Moneyball for baseball, where it was, you know, it's not just based on what the scouts are saying about a player. Let's look at their stats. Let's look at doing some analytics and, and running it through an AI engine. Let's look at some technology so that what it does, if you're a financier of film and television, give me some confidence to know that this thing is going to be, you know, is going to recoup its investment. How is it going to perform? Should we be spending $7 million making this thing or $70 million making this thing? How are you marketing it? Who's producing it? How's it being done? What's the long tail? Why do I want to do this? And so, you know, I think the, the big data part, the technology is a key element in our, in our value proposition. We have a financing logic where we get involved in a last mile financing basis where we try to, to risk, be risk averse and find a, a safe and conservative way to finance uh, these, these productions as the last money in. And then we look at how best to deliver them through our infrastructure and technology engine through doing it through cloud-based digital distribution. One of the companies we're acquiring is a company which is a global distribution company for through cinema and for streamers. And then monetization. How can we reliably do things, not just the traditional way, what about over the top? What about through the middle? What about AVOD? What about fast channels? What about merchandising and ancillary? We're looking at the whole evolving distribution chain and how to make money, not just business to consumer. 
What about business to business? So we have an entire solution. As I said before, I don't think it's rocket science. It's just putting together the pieces so that we're not a one trick pony. We're not just a financing company. We're not just a technology company. We offer the entire gamut so that we've taken a step back as a business to say, how can we help the industry? And we really believe that we've got the best solution for end to end uh, assistance of content providers. Got it. And, then, and Ron, you mentioned, uh, you know, being the last money in as far as when, you, when you're looking at um, studios or companies to acquire, uh, you know, I, I sometimes refer to as the last mile funding model. Can you explain that um, a little bit more in detail? And then why is that so attractive for, for Liquid Media Group? Did you ever see the movie Get Shorty? Get Shorty? Oh, yeah. yeah but I don't remember anything that happened. <laughs> there's, a really, there's a really good line in that thing that says, use other people's money. Okay. Remember that? And no, so, no, but I, I like I like the concept already. John Travolta, Dan DeVito. Yeah. But you remember the whole concept of, you know, use what 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 is. And so we look at at any production that comes to us has to have a has done done his homework in terms of saying what are the uh, the available sources of capital to help finance my television series or film. Where is it being done? What kind of tax credits are available? Are they maxing out those, those soft monies, the rebates, the subsidies, the, the credits? That's, that's a building block. It could be quite a significant percentage of a production budget. And then what kind of commercial pre-sales, minimum guarantees, distribution guarantees do they have that at least shows us that they are commercially, you know, there's someone wants to watch this or buy it at the end of the day. Otherwise, why are we going to produce it? So the concept of being 100% fully financed before you go into your first day of principal photography is critical. No risks. We don't want to take risks with our money, with investors' money. And really, we need to look at how we're putting the building blocks of a financing plan together so that all we provide as a company is we arrange for that final financing, that final 10, 20% of the budget on a secured basis. We act like a senior secured lender, yet as opposed to pulling our money out, off the top, last you know, first money out, we actually let it roll and create super returns for ourselves and our investors. It is, it is a very conservative approach, but frankly, it's just does, does the trick in getting these things greenlit. Got it. Yeah, and then um, I only have one last question. That's just any any particular films you're looking forward to at, at TIFF. Do you know I'm really upset I missed uh, the Evan Hansen film on Saturday night because we had a a company dinner, but I think that's going to be a one to watch. It just, I think they, it opens September 24th. Uh, that was a big movie. Uh, there's a few big ones that are coming out. In fact, I think I'm supposed to go to a couple of screenings as the week goes on. Um, so I look forward to it, but nothing in particular. I, I'm just so encouraged that we have so many films premiering and opening at Toronto, whereas last year, you know, with COVID, there was nothing. So thank goodness and thank goodness we got out to tell our story last night. And, and we had over 200 people there. Everyone was double vaccinated and everybody was, you know, had to have wristbands to get in. It was pretty rigorous, but it was just nice to see things starting to get moving again. It's not the normal that we all remember two years ago, but at, le at least our, our industry is in full swing and we found a way to realistically conform to the circumstances of COVID. So um, I'm, I'm really excited. Toronto is, on fire though right now the market is huge and uh, we're just so excited to be coming back got well what about historically have there been any like huge movies that premiered at uh toronto film festival that 
that our audience would maybe know? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not the right guy to ask because I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a stiff suit, but uh, so so many and well, so at, many. at least at least you're honest, Ron. Well, I am, and I'm also very unpopular. I'm not the guy that people. I mean, I'm always the guy who's been the fixer, you know, of these right. movies to get them financed. I'm sort of the unpopular guy who doesn't get invited to the parties. Yeah. I'm sort of the, the gremlin behind the wheel, you know, to to cause these things to get funded. But um, no, no, Toronto's uh, it's a great market, and we intend to pursue the other big markets like Sundance and Berlin and of course the Cannes Film Festival um, and as the year unfolds and, and as we get into next year. Also the television, you know, MIPCOM is coming up in, in Cannes, France in, in October and we intend to be there as well. Ron Thompson, CEO of Liquid Media Group, ticker YVR. Ron, always a pleasure. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks, Chance. Nice to see you. Thank you. All right. Uh, whoops. Sorry about that. Uh, AB, it is uh, it's 1230 and our next guest, I see him here, it's about to be 12. Oh, now it is 1230. I just predicted the future. Um, and our next guest is here. Very excited for, the, for this one. Back-to-back exec interviews on today's Power Hour. We had Ron. Now we got the guy that you said has the coolest name of any guest we've ever had on the show. I said might be the coolest Look name. Look at your words. Come on. Those are your words. It's you, up there. It's up there. Brian Bullet from Bit Digital. If you are into crypto... Uh, and crypto stocks, you know, BTBT. This is this is one of the high flyers. AB, is it time to bring them on? Hey, oh, it's time, Spencer. Let's Brian, welcome, welcome to the power hour. Hey, thanks. Great to be here. Can you guys hear me okay? We can hear you loud and clear. Well, uh, we thanks for the thanks for the props on my name. I didn't choose it, but it's worked out okay. <laughs> it, yes, yes. Well, if we could all choose our names, it would be a very different world. But, uh, Brian, uh, it's a very good day to have you on. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Gary Gensler is testifying today about crypto regulations in the United States. Um, I I haven't really had time to look too closely as to what he's said already beyond what he's already said, which is that they, of course, are are interested in trying to regulate the market in some way, shape or form. I'm curious um, what you think about uh, not necessarily what he said today, but but what the SEC has said previously about about their attempts to, to regulate this this market. Yeah, sure. I'm, I I'd say a few things about that. There 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 is some existing regulation on the books today that's pretty constructive, and and I understand there's an effort to add to that. I, I think the sectors of the market that are probably most exposed to that regulation are are companies that touch customers. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. For funds, play a custodial role, um, you know, onboard third-party investments. 
Um, and, and I do think we will likely see more reg regulation there, you know, the Coinbase's of the world and others. Uh, you know, our sector, the mining sector, you know, we don't engage in those types of activities. I think we're a little less in the crosshairs of regulation. Um, but, you know, I, I think some amount of regulation is warranted. It's just a matter of it being crafted in a way that doesn't stifle innovation and allows the U.S. to continue to be a center of innovation in the tech industry and financial technology. I guess one thing I'll add to that is, you know, we've seen, you know, some interesting things in other countries such as El Salvador, yes. uh, where I, I spent some time a couple of months ago meeting with the government officials down there about their uh, recent, recently enacted law to make Bitcoin a formal part of the economy. And I understand there are a number of other countries looking at doing that as well. I think the more and more you start to see nation states take Bitcoin on board as part of their economic system, um, it gets harder to regulate it out of existence, which I'm sure some people would like to see happen. But I, I think that these kinds of moves make that make that tougher. And and the El Salvador thing was interesting because it um, it came together really quickly. Yeah. Uh, like our, I, on the spectrum of like government initiatives, this one happened in like, you know, a couple of months. And yeah. uh there are very obviously more questions than answers uh, last week when it when it began. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like any technology rollout, you know, it's, it's right. never going to go perfect. Right. And they did this in like 90 days to your right. point. Right. Like that, that might be a record for like a government initiative. That's not how things go in the U.S., at least not what we're, what we're used to. Um, so anyway. Those guys, those guys were incredibly impressive. You know, I, I spent a bunch of time with uh, President Bukele's uh, cabinet ministers. Yeah. And, and I... I was really pleasantly surprised to see how entrepreneurial they are and, and, and focused on, they were almost operating like a tech startup, running a government and running a country. And it, it seemed as though their intentions are in the right place. They were looking to increase financial inclusion in that country where something like 70% of the population doesn't have a bank account. Yep. And I think their thought process was, okay, we can do this the old school way and build a banking system, or we can leapfrog that with new technology. And I think that's what they're trying to achieve. Got it. Um, so, Brian, we, we were talking about some of the potential regulation that might come in from the government on uh, on cryptos in general. And a lot of crypto traders and investors see any sort of regulation as inherently bad and kind of antithetical to the idea of cryptocurrency and decentralized finance. What types of regulation do you think would be um, maybe maybe not accepted among crypto traders, but at least tolerated? Well, look, I mean, obviously, anti-money laundering, know your customer, those types of regulations that are commonplace in financial services broadly make a lot of sense for a lot of, a lot of businesses that touch crypto and particularly touch customer funds. And, um, you know, there are, there are rules in place, and I, I could see buttressing those as being appropriate to some, some degree. Um, the, the infrastructure bill that, that, uh, in Congress that, you know, had, had uh, proposed to make anyone who who effectively processed a cryptocurrency transaction responsible for reporting a 1099 form that that wasn't very well crafted in in our view and um and and was operationally cumbersome it didn't make a lot of sense because it would have caught up uh in in that iteration of the bill uh transaction verifiers which aren't aren't playing a role of acting as an asset manager or an investment manager on behalf of a customer they're just verifying transactions on the network. So that, that I think would go a step too far. Um, 
but but I do think AML, KYC are, are, are pretty logical types of regulation. Brian, I want to ask about the headline from last week. You announced a co-mining agreement with Block Fusion. Uh, it, it, explain the details of that and, and the significance to, to you. Yeah, sure. So you know, Block Fusion is a great group. They're a privately held company. Uh, we know them very well. We happen to have a relationship going back about a decade uh, between the principals of that firm and ours. And uh, they're veteran um, mining facility operators um, that uh, we were able to craft a pretty unique deal with. It, it, it just as a little bit of backdrop, as, as your viewers might be aware, um, you know, in the wake of China banning Bitcoin mining back in June, that has led to a scramble for power and hosting capacity in the U.S. and other places as those groups have sought to move their machines overseas. Uh, and so we've been in the midst of the tightest market in anybody's memory to get power for Bitcoin mining. Um, and that's made it challenging for ourselves and others. We've, we've been fortunate in the sense that we've been able to sign up 135 megawatts of new power capacity since that ban went into effect and since that market tightened up on very attractive economic terms. The deal with Block Fusion goes a step further than a typical service provider relationship where the, the hosting partner would be providing us a data center. It does that, but in addition, it provides a roadmap and a framework for Bit Digital to potentially acquire Block Fusion should we choose to, and should we have a meeting of the minds with the principles of Block Fusion to do that. And the reason we, we thought it was important to create that optionality in our agreement is that if you think about Bitcoin mining, the lifeblood of this industry, the biggest input to generating Bitcoins is power. And so it stands to reason that there is a strategic uh, value in having the capacity and the capability internally for a Bitcoin mining company to activate new sources of power and hosting, to have a team that's experienced in operating its own facilities and a team that's experienced in developing new facilities. You pair up that capability with a publicly traded balance sheet and you can activate some pretty interesting opportunities. So we're happy to get that optionality with BlockFusion. Got it. And then Brian, so, you know, you mentioned that the, uh, the China cracking down on Bitcoin mining created a scram to kind of find where have been the, uh, you know, I know Texas, that Texas has been thrown around as a, a place where maybe a lot of, of mining could happen. Any other places in the U.S. that um, you think have the potential to be a strong, uh, you know, location to mine Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, there are a number of jurisdictions that are pretty friendly to mining and have good sources of power. We operate pretty large facility in Nebraska, and uh, that's running on grid power. The grid power there, importantly, is about 65% carbon free. And that's something we as a company really focus on. You know, we, we've made a commitment to decarbonizing. We're a signatory to the Crypto Climate Accord, uh, which is modeled on the Paris Accord, provides a decarbonization framework. We're very focused on sustainability. So that's one, of, one important lens we look at all power opportunities through. Um, and to your point, uh, we've looked, we've, we've, um, we've, we really like upstate New York and, and here's why, um, it's an interesting jurisdiction. Uh, the block fusion facility is in upstate New York in the Niagara region, um, as is another agreement we have, um, with a different partner. Um, that region, um, is great from a climate perspective. It's cool. 
you don't have to use HVAC systems. You can air cool your equipment. So that makes it more efficient. But importantly, you know, the, the region around Buffalo, you know, is ha, has a need for new jobs and new tech jobs. And, and I think the local uh, jurisdictions there and local government have have realized that crypto mining um, offers a path to create new tech jobs in the region and is doing so. Um, and there's a plethora of clean power there uh, that used to be a major manufacturing center. Unfortunately, they lost a portion of their manufacturing base in the wake of NAFTA, um, but it's primarily hydroelectric. And again, that's a lens that, that we're very focused on and we're happy to be able to access that clean power up there. Out of curiosity, are you talking about the Rochester area? Because I think about RIT, right, as being like a... Yeah, so so our relationships are in, in the Buffalo and Niagara Falls region. Okay. Um, you know, that block fusion facility is within five miles of the largest hydroelectric facility in the state of New York. Um, so there's just a plethora of clean power there. I think Rochester is a good region, too. It's not too far away from there. Uh, but we don't operate anything there at the moment. I, I just, I remember they were supposed to be, they were supposed to get... Uh, a Tesla facility that never happened. So clearly there is some sort of, there, there must be a talent hub up there, right? Yeah. Well, you've also seen uh, traditional tier three data center operators move into the region for similar regions. And yeah. you understand some of the big tech giants uh, now operate pretty big data centers in that area. Yeah. And then Brian, real quick, why would an investor, what would be the benefit to, to purchasing a, a stock um, like BTBT or even one of your competitors versus just going out and buying uh, Bitcoin or, or a crypto straight up? Well, you know, the mining business has pretty interesting operating leverage. If you think about, you know, you can buy a share, you can buy a Bitcoin and uh, wait for it to appreciate. And uh, if you're involved in the sector at all, you probably have a perspective that it will appreciate over time. But when you invest in a mining stock, you're basically acquiring the ability or a share of the ability to generate Bitcoin um, at a at a cost that is potentially a fraction of the value of that Bitcoin. So, you know, said differently, you know, as I mentioned, the biggest input is power. Um, on average, you tend to see margins in this business at the gross margin level in, in anywhere from like 75 to 80, 85 percent uh, for a well-run company. And so, you know, if Bitcoin's trading around, you know, 46, 47 bucks a share, your cost to create that Bitcoin is probably going to be somewhere in the area of 10,000 bucks or lower. So that's the power of it, because not only are you acquiring the Bitcoin and putting it on your balance sheet to hold it for that future appreciation, but you're doing so at a much lower cost basis. A question from uh, our chat from Justin Bieber, I'll let you decide whether it's actually Justin Bieber or not. Uh, he wants to know, do you, basically, what do you do with the Bitcoin that you mine? Do you hold it? Do you sell it? This is from Jay Gibbs. Yeah. I'll bring up the comment. There it is. Yeah. I mean, like others in the sector, you know, we, we are long Bitcoin. Um, we hold as much of it as we possibly can. Uh, we will liquidate a portion of it um, on an ongoing basis to fund our operating expenses. Um, I think, you know, what's interesting about the mining sector as it evolves, uh, what I see as a natural kind of next step in the evolution, if you think about this business, is you're in the business of creating Bitcoins and putting them on your balance sheet. Well, what, what else could you do with them once you have them? And there are a lot of interesting strategies available uh, in the market to generate yield 
off of Bitcoins. Um, a, a variety of strategies, some more risky than others. Some would not be appropriate for a publicly listed company from a risk perspective, but others are. And, and we do see some opportunities in the market. We do monitor it. And we are studying some opportunities to put those Bitcoin holdings to work and generate incremental yield and effectively switch on a second engine of earnings. And, and that's something we're studying closely uh, and expect to act, activate in the near future. All right. Brian Bullitt, the CEO of BitDigital uh, AB. Did you have anything else or, or did we get to all of our questions? I think actually maybe the one more unless AB you have one. Yeah, no, I mean, my only last question would, I guess, be to just expand more on kind of what sets BTBT apart from um, other miners like Riot, Mara. Um, you know, a lot of these miner stocks are, are stocks that we get asked about a lot. There's a lot of interest among retail investors in these different mining yeah. stocks. So so what makes BTBT unique from the other ones? Yeah, th those are all great groups. We have a lot of respect for, the, for our peers in the sector. We, we are very differentiated. We have a different strategy uh, particularly in our, our access to, ho to acquiring mining equipment. Uh, the way we've done that historically is we've acquired on the spot market, which basically means that you can take possession of the equipment of pretty much immediately and get it up and running in a matter of a few weeks. Um, that's pretty different because of the tight supply chain right now. Uh, if you reach out direct to the manufacturers to place an order, you're likely looking at a delivery timeline that could be six to 12 months out. And as you know, in this business, time is money because the sooner you get that equipment deployed and generating Bitcoin, the more that improves your return on investment. So we have a different differentiated purchasing strategy that allows us to, we think, drive a higher return on our invested capital. One more actually from our chat. This is a great question from Tiny Pie Media. Do flash crashes like the one of last week unsettle you at all? I, you know, we've, we've seen those, I think, since, you know, since the inception of Bitcoin from time to time, um, you, you kind of have to have a stomach for that sort of thing. Um, it, it doesn't affect us operationally because our revenues are de denominated in Bitcoin. So if we earn a Bitcoin and at the moment in time we generate that Bitcoin, the price is X and then in the future it's Y, um, that, that, you know, to some extent that gets reflected in the accounting, but we still earned the Bitcoin. Um, so we're a little bit buffered from that volatility. Um, but again, you know, our, our perspective is that, you know, Bitcoin is an asset that has a fixed supply, has deflationary properties, and, and we like to be long that asset. All right. Brian Bullitt, CEO, Bit Digital, BTBT. Brian, thanks a lot for joining the Power Hour today. Appreciate it. Thanks very much. All right. Uh, it's 12.46. We got 14 minutes until our next show. Also 14 minutes until the Apple California streaming event, which we will be restreaming as well right here on YouTube.com slash Benzinga. Um, AB, you, you looking to buy a new iPhone this cycle or what? No, I actually uh, recently upgraded about, I don't know, six, eight months ago, sometime over COVID. I uh, I went from like an iPhone 7 to an iPhone like 12, and it's the yep. big one. So this was like a big upgrade for me. It was like That's what, five I, five series. I, I did the same thing last November. I when when the iPhone 12 came out, I had I think I went from an eight to a 12. I did. Um, I'm I, what I'm honestly most looking forward to today in the Apple event is I want to know the what the updates on the AirPods are because 
here's my history with AirPods. The first ones, like the the original AirPods, I I had them and I I liked them. Yeah. I wouldn't say I loved them, but I liked them. They fit my ear. I could like work out in them. They would stay in my ear. And then over COVID, oh, I got the new ones because I was like, oh, you know, the the pro, the AirPod Pros look really nice. They have the noise canceling, whatever. Hated them. I was like, I I would trade these for the original AirPods in a second. Um, and so, yeah. I think they just don't fit my ear as well. I, I, I have I have the original AirPods. Um, I I like them. I don't love them, right? They're they're okay. I've definitely noticed a, a degrading quality over time, right? In, in terms of just audio, just really quality. Yeah, like you know, I find myself having maybe this is a um, maybe this speaks more to me and, and, and my my hearing, but I've, I've I've noticed I'm having to bump up the volume more than I used to. I don't know what that means. Maybe it means the AirPods are not as good, or I'm, or I'm slowly going deaf. It, it could be it can mean either. But um, yeah, interested to see the interested to see uh, Apple Watch as well, right? Uh, I don't know if there's even been an Apple Watch update yet. Not yet. I mean, they, I think they're on their Series Five or Six um of apple watches and they have a lot of updates i think one of the biggest things we're going to see with apple watch updates going forward is on the health side um because right now a lot of technology is already available on on the apple watch as far as to track your um you know some more advanced metrics when it comes to heart rate and all this stuff but there's like security concerns so they have to get through some loopholes to be able to actually implement the technology they have the technology it's just about implementation at this point uh, Apple uh, down uh, in the red today, 0.39%. If you ain't fading, you ain't trading. Open, let's bring up a one-minute chart here. Opened higher this morning on the heels of that lighter-than-expected CPI number. Look, so far today, we uh, we opened at, is that at or near? That is one penny off the high of the day. So the high was made pretty much right there on that first candle. We have uh, gone down uh, pretty much since then. So uh, fading the pre-market gain uh, today for Apple. Um, but we will see what the stock does um, during the event, what the reaction is after the event. Uh, but not not just Apple, though. Also watching stocks like Taiwan Semi, watching Apple suppliers, Always want to pay attention to that. What's TSM, right? Always watching those guys. Uh, any stock related to Apple um, and what they're what Apple's going to say as far as uh, chip production, supply chain uh, as, uh, expectations, that sort of thing. So, watching names like TSM as well. Lumentum is another big one, right? So, just watching these guys uh, as it relates to the iPhone event, which is supposed to start in ten minutes. Yeah, my gut feeling, Spencer, is I, I think the stock is going to move more off any news, you know, regarding the production semiconductor supply chain more so than any updates or advancements in the um, in Apple's products, whether it be iPhone or, or Apple Watch. I just don't know at this point what Apple can like add to an iPhone to make it more appealing than it already is. Like they, at this point, they're just adding more cameras. Basically, yeah. Um. Av, did you see the the big IPO of the day? Sport Radar, Sport Radar. Yeah, the the uh, how do you how do you describe them? It's like a sports data company, right? The sports gambling data. That's a I think that's a safe safe way of uh, describing them. It's a fairly accurate way of uh, the company. Uh, let's look up the IPO price real fast and 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 see how the how we've done here. Did, did we get that day one pop? No, we didn't. 
What was the opening price? We owe. We opened at the IPO price. Never really a good sign. So the IPO was priced at 27. And look at that opening candle. 27. So no real. If you recall, if you if you pay attention to IPOs, we were talking about this with Matt Hammond on Monday. Um, you know, the likelihood of there being a, a a a day one pop, and you see all these headlines, regardless of whether of what the stock does throughout the day, if it opened above 27, you were gonna see those headlines like Sport Radar pops uh, uh, on on first day of IPO. Well, th- that didn't happen. Uh, they opened at the IPO price. Um, and yeah, Spencer, I'll be, I'll be honest. I wasn't really familiar with this company, but Raz in the chat saying sports radar is Benzinga. The thing behind the thing, looking at it right now, reading about the company. I mean, the company supplies data to bookmakers, um, yes. all across the world, national and international sports federations. So as we see this industry of, of legal sports gambling growing, we're going to see the need, uh, the demand will be there for data coming out of companies like sports radar. So I, adding this to my radar, um, I don't know ooh, about you, Spencer. Ooh, ooh. Was that pun intended? I think it was. It was intended. Okay. Uh, two two big things for me on the sport radar thing. One, this was a company that was going to go SPAC and didn't. They went from SPAC to no SPAC and then to IPO. Uh, so just sort of remember that. This is, this is a company that, that's been trying to go public for a little while now, and they kind of changed their route. Second thing is they did just lose a deal. They lost an, uh, an NFL contract. Right? Yeah, uh, G-E-N-I, Genius uh, Sports. Right. G- what is it? It's um, Yeah, Genius Brands, G-E-N-I. Genius right. Sports. No, Genius Brands is a different company. Oh, you're right. You're right. Um, so, so Genius Sports has the NFL contract, but Sports Radar looks like has all the other um, you know, major ones. And again, I mean, think about it. If you're DraftKings or if you're uh, Penn Barstool Sports app, you need the data to be to be making the lines, you know, and, and I think we're going to see these companies just have crazy revenue numbers this year with the NFL starting up. So, well, not, I, not, not support radar. They don't have the NFL. Right. 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 I, I was talking about Penn, DraftKings, whatever. So they're oh. going to have crazy revenue. They're going to have more money to spend on data. They want to be ahead of the curve. Um, I, I, I like I said, I'm just adding this to my radar. I don't like trading stocks right after the IPO, so I'm not going to touch it now. Um, but you can bet it's on my watch list. All right. Uh, that's, that was sort of the big IPO that I was watching this week. Uh, as a reminder, uh, we do a weekly IPO segment with Matt Hammond from IPO Warriors every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern time on pre-market prep. So check that out uh, every every week. Uh, the last stock that was on my radar for today was Comcast. Uh, because as big and like stodgy as this stock is, uh, the biggest growth thing they've got going for them right now is streaming. And their CFO was speaking at a conference and said that their new subscribers are down from their 2019 rate. 2020 kind of got to throw out the window, right? Because pandemic and craziness, right? But 2019, we can compare to that. And their subscriber growth rate is below where it was in 2019. And so they're talking about platforms like Peacock, for example, right? Um, so uh, th- this is why Comcast is trading down 5.86% today, right? Is is is, uh, is lagging subscriber growth. This is basically the only thing that Wall Street cares about. Um, Disney, for the last year and a half, two years, has been treated like 
a streaming stock. You know, it's as if the parks don't don't even exist because all Wall Street cares about is Disney Plus. Comcast is sort of the same thing, right? They've obviously got the the internet business. They're they're a huge company. They're they're massive, but all Wall Street cares about is your growth driver, and for them, the growth driver is streaming. uh, And they're saying that their their streaming growth rate is slow. So, um. Yeah, Comcast on my radar here. I know there's been some random M&A headlines in the past couple months about this company that never seemed to come to fruition, that they're reportedly buying Roku or whatever, but that is not real. Um, Roku Roku might have a bigger market cap than Comcast at this point. Um, Oh, maybe you're right. (laughs) Maybe you're right. (laughs) I don't even know. (laughs) Every once in a while, Spencer, I am. Um, But uh, speaking of streaming, Spencer, I've been watching Fubo again today. Fubo got absolutely crushed yesterday, um, down about, uh, let's see, 7% yesterday, down another 2% today, down more than 10% the last five days. This Full disclosure, I do hold Fubo. Honestly, it looks like to me that this could continue to go down. It's in a a downtrend. Um, It I, if it if it continues to go down, Spencer, I might try to add some, you know, average my cost basis, get some more shares at around, I don't know, twenty really? bucks flat. Yeah. So, so you're actively trading around this, right? I just don't. I, I don't like to give up. I'm persistent. So Man. if I okay, okay, is 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 this Fubo thing for you? Is this a long term thing or no? It was. It was. And then now I'm like, eh, I, I, I'm kind of out on the, cause like the whole thesis that I've given behind it is that it's, it's supposed to be like the live sports streaming people go to it. But now like, it's like, it's so easy to go on YouTube TV and, and watch live sports or, or all these other streaming platforms that are basically offering what Fubo does, but have a wider, um, you know, range of other content as well. And then, and then the, the catalyst that people love to point out with Fubo too, is they're like, Oh, they're, they're integrating a gambling software essentially a broker in the platform so you can watch sports and bet uh, on the game at the same time and i just don't buy that as a huge driver of revenue because it, it's so easy for me to spencer to be watching a game and then just bet on it on my phone you know i don't need it to be both yeah. on the same place yeah yeah so so like see uh, see unlike when we talked about my pod stocks earlier i i i sort of shrugged it off right because i know what those are to me those are long term i'm talking stocks like tc and nf right right long term positions i i see what's happening doesn't phase me c-u-r c-u-r-l-f but wouldn't even for your long-term investments wouldn't it behoove you to to try to add some shares below what your initial um, cost oh, basis. Oh, oh, like would I average down? I don't, yeah. I don't. I don't know if I would average. I'm not in that position yet, frankly. Um, I don't know if I would average down. Um, my cost basis is in the single digits in all four of them. Um, so I don't know. But 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 this goes back to the the Fubo point, right? Like like I I'm, I'm not stressing this. You seem to be stressing Fubo a little bit right now. I I I th- I mean I think this I think we'll see the stock run again. I really do. I'm like, but I just am not like oh, I'm going to be holding these Fubo shares forever and going to pass these to my kids. I don't. That's not necessarily how I feel about the company right now. Yeah. I am just looking at it. I, I'm looking at it as a trade now. When I initially entered it, I was looking at it as a long term investment. If that makes sense. Okay. Sully wants to know if you got your, you ever got your ice cream, AB. Did you no, but I'll I'll get some today. You will. Okay. All right, let's. I think we should wrap it up. It's one o'clock, just about, and our wackiest show, get technical, is about to go live. The stream will end, and it'll redirect to that. Before we end, though, 
before we end, we got to tell you all to, two things. One, hit the like. Let, let, let's get to let's get to 200 likes today. That would be great. Second thing is upcoming Benzinga events. We have like three of them. Actually, we got more than three. But uh, this Friday, we have our next all-access uh, event. Next Wednesday, our EV Summit Electric Vehicles. And then a month from today, our very next in-person conference, our first one since before COVID, the Cannabis Capital Conference, October 14th and 15th. For all of that, go to BenzingaEvents.com. Learn more how you can attend uh, the the, C- the CCC in NYC in October. Ooh, I uh, like that. See who's speaking at next week's EV event. All right, it's one o'clock. We gotta get Neil live, uh, and the Apple event is about to start, which means you don't want to hear us from us anymore. So, um, with all that being said, are we at two hundred likes? We are at no. Come on, people. Let's get let's get to let's get to two hundred. That that would make my day. I think. Come on, team. We can do it. We can do it. Here, if you're not gonna if you're not gonna like the stream for for Spencer or for me or for Ron Thompson of Liquid Media or for Brian Bullet of of Bit Digital BTBT, like it for Jason. That's how I feel right now. Without being at two hundred likes, um, and and as always, you can email us with people you want to see on the show. Right, email you want to you want to see certain guests or CEOs or analysts or whomever. If you want to come on the show, let's go. Powerhour at Benzinga.com is the email address to email, and uh, we we always look for your feedback. And um, on that note, man, I, th- I I think I think we're done for today. <laughs>